Well, today we're starting a new series called Living Like Jesus, and I want to just talk with you about that just a little bit more while we're starting this series and instead of life after Easter. So normally, I want you to know this, and, and I'm just letting you know just so you kind of get a picture, but typically it takes me about 16 to 20 hours to develop a talk. Typically, in a given week, I spend 16 to 20 hours in kind of message preparation. So about two and a half days of my week is spent message prep. It would be great to do more, but the other hours I have to use to help lead the church in in different areas and stuff like that. So anyways, uh, part of that, I say that. In addition to that, uh, typically I prepare the sermon calendar or preaching calendar, I call it, uh, for about three to five months out. So normally, the messages that I've prepared or kind of the talks or scripture verses are laid out months in advance. So if you ever feel like I'm talking to you, it's not because I'm watching your Facebook page. God's given this stuff to me months ago, okay? And it, a lot of times, it's it, you know, as leading this church, I'm thankful for that because it helps me see where we're going. So when, I, when I'm seeing like we're going to do a talk on, you know, worry and fear, I'm like, oh, Lord, here we go. You know, I don't, you know, it's like, here comes me you know, or whatever. And um, so anyway, so I get excited when the Lord says, this is going to, you know, some kind of joyful preaching message, revival, preach on revival in November. Lord, let's hurry up and get to November. And uh, so anyways, I'm typically three to five months out. Here's why I say that. Back at January, I was doing the message calendar and I felt like the Lord gave me this, this series, Living Like Jesus or Living Like Me. And he wanted me to do a talk with you and teach you about how to live like him. And so it's going to begin on this date, the 18th, and I had it all written out in the calendar. And then following Easter on the 11th, that's last Sunday, by the way, uh, he said, I want you to do a talk about how to carry my message out to the world. And so that's exactly what I did. I just titled it Under Life After Easter. Well, I say that I've really been feeling as the leader of the church that we've got to get Brave Track back up and running. We've got to get assimilations back up. There are churches growing, a lot of new families. We've got to get people back and helping find their spiritual gifts and do what we're called to do and make disciples. So I was really trying to push that and kind of force that into the calendar. And God said, no. And I said, okay. And so uh, this week I was submissive to the Lord. I said, Lord, I trust you. This is what you want to do. He said, this is what I want to do. Go back to the original calendar move brave track, you know, kind of conversation for later on. And I want you to teach the people on how to live like me. So I say that to you because I want you to know as your pastor and your leader, I will always do what I believe in my heart God is speaking to me to do. And uh, even if I get it wrong, I'll say I got it wrong. And I'll say, Lord, I, I surrender to you. Amen. All right. That should mean something to you. I, I would caution you ever to go be part of a church where guys like, I preach on what I want to. And I would leave immediately. All right. So This is a word I believe is from God today. I need you to hear me. Every time I I preach or teach a message, I need you to know it is not me. It's not like me giving you my advice or my thoughts or my opinions. You should never show up to do that. We can do that over coffee and a nice meal. uh, So we don't have to do that here. But when I preach, I believe this is what God's wanting to teach you and he's wanting to teach me by the way. So I'm always sitting in the seat with you, learning in the moment. Sometimes I'm preaching a message and I'm like, man, I really needed to hear that. And God's like, I know that's why I'm talking to you. So anyways, anyways, 
All right, so today we're going to start a new series called Living Like Jesus, and I'm going to unpack with you over the next couple of weeks how to pray like Jesus, how to forgive like Jesus. That's going to be a lot of fun. How to give like Jesus. And I was like, are you sure you want to talk about giving again, Lord? He said, yes. And I was like, no. And he said, yes. I said, okay. How to love like him and how to lead like him. I want to talk about leadership too. The last part of this series, I'm going to talk about leadership. I want you to know you're all leaders because you're all influencers. If you have children, you influence children. You influence your neighbors. You influence people on social media. If you carry influence, you're a leader to some degree. So we're going to talk about leadership. So that's going to be a great talk as well. All right. So here's what I want you to know. Key truth going into this series. You can write this down in your notes. Jesus followers. Now this is going to completely surprise you. Follow Jesus. Did you get that? Jesus followers follow Jesus, okay? And you have to take notes today because I've got six different things I'm going to talk to you about, and there's no way you're going to remember all of this. So you have, to, you have to write it down. And then if you have a community group, you should be a part of a community group because in community groups is where it's sermon-based. So community groups discuss the sermons and help unpack it even more. So if you're not a part of a community group, you should sign up for one. How do you do that? I'm about to tell you. Go to Brave Central, sign up for one. All right, so what I want you to do is be part of community groups so you can unpack these, these messages and get involved in it more for men's group, women's group, couples. Okay, it's all available. All right, so there's that little plug. But I need you to understand, you need to write this stuff down today. Jesus followers follow Jesus. You cannot say you're a follower of Jesus and not act like him. You cannot do that. You can't say, I'm, I'm a Jesus follower. In your world, you say Christian which is Greek Christanos, okay, which is you say, I'm a Christ follower, I'm like Christ. You can't say I'm like Christ and then do nothing like Christ. I'm like Christ, but I don't forgive like him. I don't talk like him. I don't walk like him. I don't really, you know, do anything that he did, but I'm a Christian. No, you're not. I mean, you can't say that, okay? So if you're a Christ follower, does it mean you're perfect? No, but, but I'm on my way to try to be more like him. That's what a Christ follower is. I am a Christian. That just means, and we use sometimes I'm a Christian because I believe in God. Well, Satan believes in God, but he's not a Christian. So just because you believe in God doesn't make you a Christian. That makes sense to you? Even the devil believes in God. Okay. So a Christ follower follows Christ or does what Christ does. To the best of your ability. You're always growing. So it's a lifelong process. And by the way, no one will ever arrive at this. Okay, the day you say, I have arrived, I am now perfectly like Jesus, will be the day you become Jesus. You're never going to be Jesus, so it's going to be a lifelong process. Okay? All right. Jesus followers follow Jesus. Now, today I'm going to talk to you about prayer, how to pray like Jesus. So I title the message, Praying Like Jesus, because I want you to learn how to pray like Jesus. And the good news is the disciples said, Rabbi or teacher, teach us to pray. And Jesus wants his followers to know how to pray. And so he tells them how to pray because they ask the question. So Luke chapter 11 is where we're going to be. If you have a Bible or your phone, you can turn there. You can look at the screen. So Luke 11 verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciple. He's referring to John the Baptist. John the Baptist had disciples. So you have a rabbi in Hebrew culture, and then you have disciples or followers. And the followers of the rabbi wanted to be like the rabbi. And so John the Baptist would pray a certain way. He would use certain content. He would use a certain style, and then they would kind of mimic that. Now today, if I said to you, I want you to pray, most of you would do this. And no one told you to do this, 
But you just do that because that's what your culture has taught you. That's what the style is. Or you'll close your eyes because that's what you do when you pray. That's what you, you've gone accustomed to. Now, some cultures, that's not the case. Some cultures, you might keep your eyes open. And you can't keep your head up. In some cultures, praying is loud and shouting and all kinds of things coming out of their mouths that would freak you out because it's not part of your style or your content. So I just want you to see different styles, different contents, so different rabbis and so different uh, followers or different disciples of their rabbi would mimic this kind of thing. So it would have been a normal question to ask, hey, Jesus, how do you do that? Because we want to learn to pray like you. But I want you to consider something. Jesus, after this conversation occurs after the transfiguration and after feeding 5,000 people with a couple of sardines and crackers. I say sardines and crackers, so you get the picture. When you go down to public style, you see a little can of sardines and get a little couple of those Ritz crackers or something like that, or those little club crackers. Those are my favorite. So good. So you get some club crackers, and then you get some sardines. And Jesus fed 5,000 plus people with just a few of these things, right? That's what he did. Fed 5,000 people. Now, what you understand, if you're following Jesus and you just watch this miracle be performed, you've seen this guy raise dead people, you've seen him walk on water, how many would you would say, hey, Jesus, would you teach me how to feed 5,000 people on a small budget? Anybody want to know how to feed 5,000 people on a small budget? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. Hey, Jesus, how many would love to walk on water? It'd be really cool if you could walk on water. Anyone here would just love to have that experience. Anyone not raising their hand, like, no, I'd rather not walk on water. (laughs) That doesn't sound fun to me. That sounds like a blast, right? Okay, raising dead people. Anyone would love to know how to raise a dead person? Yeah. If you've lost a loved one, you're like, yeah, that'd be cool. I'd like to figure that out. Hey, you up. All right. Now, listen, I want you to get this. Nowhere in Scripture do they ask anywhere, Jesus, how to do those things I just mentioned. They never asked him how to walk on water. They didn't ask him how to feed 5,000 people. They didn't ask how to raise dead people. They asked him, if we could ask you one question, how to do something, they said, how do you pray? Now, why would they ask that? If they could ask all these how questions, why pray? Well, Mark 1 tells us, I think, I'm sorry, Mark 9. After Jesus has gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Now, they're referring to a demon in this story. Why couldn't we drive out this demon? Why couldn't we cast out this demon from this person? Why couldn't we? And then Jesus says, this kind can only come out through prayer. What I want you to see is that these disciples had learned something about Jesus. This, and here's what they were learning. If we can learn to pray like him, we'll learn to do the things he does. If we can learn to pray like him, we'll learn to see the miracles of God. Because before Jesus fed the 5,000 people, what did he do? He broke it and he blessed it. He offered it up to the Father. If we can learn to pray like him, then maybe we'll see dead people raised too. If we can learn to pray like him, then maybe we'll heal the sick too. If we can learn to pray like him, then we'll cast out demons too. If we can learn to pray like him, then we'll see the things of him. So they ask him this question, how do we pray? Pray like you. Teach us to pray. Because that's where your power is. If they can learn to pray like him, then the power of Jesus to heal the sick could potentially come inside of them. And they knew this. They, they knew that Jesus had this relationship with the Father. They thought, we want that. 
If we could get anything from you, how to do something, that's what we want to learn how to do. We want to learn to pray like you. And Jesus says, no problem. I want you to know how to pray. So I'm going to teach you how to pray. And here's how he begins. He said, first of all, when you pray. Luke 11 verse 2. When you pray. In other words, I expect my followers to pray. That means you better be praying. If you're my follower, you better pray. Why? Because it's, I have been praying. I want you to see Mark 1.35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place, and he prayed. So number one, he prayed often and alone. I'm trying to teach fast on this. I want you to get to this. I want you to see this, okay? Or you've got to follow me. Jesus prayed often and alone. If you are his follower and you want to follow Jesus in how you pray, then you have to consider, Jesus, how did you pray? And Jesus is saying, I'm about to tell you, first of all, I did pray. Some of you need to start there. Amen? First of all, you need to start there. I did pray, but I prayed often and I prayed alone. I want you to hear Jesus say, I prayed often and I prayed alone. Now, Paul would say, pray without, say the word, ceasing. Yeah, pray without ceasing. Never stop praying. So often is not Christmas and Easter. Often is not uh, once on Friday. Often is not occasionally when I feel like it. I'm telling you now, often is every day. Often is all the time. Constant prayer. Okay, Jesus, he prayed often and he prayed alone. Before Jesus began his ministry, what did Jesus do first? He prayed. Before Matthew chapter 4, before Jesus began his ministry at the age of 30, before he goes public with who he starts to do all the stuff we see in the New Testament, the first thing he does is spends 40 days in prayer and fasting. 40 days in prayer and fasting. That's where he begins. Prayer. Jesus made prayer a priority. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Jesus did it alone too. He didn't just pray at the dinner table. He didn't just pray, you know, whatever, just at church on Sunday. He prayed alone. How often do you get alone with God? You and him. Jesus made prayer a priority. I've always said this. You know what a priority is? A priority is a priority. You know what a priority is? A priority. What does that mean? Is eating a priority for you? Yeah, it is. So you know what you do every day? You make sure you eat. Is drinking water a priority? Yes. You know how I know that? Because you wouldn't be alive if you didn't drink water. Or, or at least something that has water in it. For some of you who don't drink water, you know, you find substitutes for water. But the point is you wouldn't last long. Does anyone here just, you'd never sleep? You haven't slept in a month? No. Impossible. You find sleep a priority. You may not get a lot of sleep, but you find it a priority. The point is, prayer is a priority. And it was to Jesus. And it should be to you if you're a follower of him. Are you praying like Jesus? Often and alone. Make it a priority. Then he continues on. He tells them how to pray. And he says, here's what I want you to do. He says, here's what I want you to say. Here's, here's what I want you to pray. Now, this context, by the way, he starts off and it says the word say at first. I want you to understand Jesus is not saying this in verse 2. This is to repeat. How do I know that? Throughout Scripture, 
Jesus wasn't saying repeat this. Jesus was saying this is how. It's a model. The reason we know that is because all throughout Scripture, Jesus would say, cast your cares on me for I care for you. Present your request to God. Make them known. In other words, you could pray about anything. You, this is not something you should say. This is how you should pray. If you read Matthew, Matthew chapter 6 unpacks this prayer a little bit more and he goes into that more of a detail. So don't get lost in saying this. It's more of the approach to prayer. All right, so this is how you should pray. This is how I prayed, guys. This is what Jesus is saying. This is how you should pray too. Father, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed in Greek is to make holy. In other words, I'm beginning with understanding that my, my dad is holy. I begin, watch this, with this character. Write this down, number two. Pray declaring God's character first. When Jesus prayed, he declared God's character first. He began with who God was. Look at Psalm 77. We'll put up on the screen. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God. Now, I want you to think about starting your prayer with that line. What God is as great as you? Now, just think about how this changes your prayer life. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. When Jesus started his prayer life, he began with his Father's character. That's why he says, begin your prayers with, Father, hallowed be your name. How great your name is. Your name is magnificent. Your ways are higher than my ways. I cannot comprehend the work you can do. You are the almighty healer. You can heal anything. Nothing is too big for you, God. You have full authority over heaven and earth. You are all powerful, all graceful. Now imagine starting your prayers there. You know how we often start our prayers? Hey, God, here's what I really could use from you today. <laughs> here's what I really need. Here's what we're really hoping for today, Jesus. Would you help me out with that? Would you help me out with this? Would you give me, give me, give me, help me, help me, help me? Jesus said, don't start there. You need to start with my character. Think about how that would shape your prayer life when you're worried. You start with the character. God, I know. Let me start my prayer. I, want you, I dare you to start your prayer tomorrow morning. Start your week the way. God... You have full authority in my life. Whether good or bad, I trust that you have a good plan for me. And whatever comes my way this week, you will turn for my good because you love me that much. I mean, just think about it. Jesus said, I want you to start your prayers with my character. That's where you begin. So how do I pray? Start with God's character. Okay? All right. Then he continues on. Your kingdom come. All right, now we know that's a lot of times kind of connected to his will, and it is. So when you pray, you're seeking God's will. I want you to understand, your kingdom come. Jesus is telling his followers, prayer is where we get aligned with, with God. He is telling his followers, prayer is where you get aligned with God. By the way, if you are not aligned with the will of God, then you are out of alignment with God. Just like your car, you know, it starts to drift to the right or drift to the left and it gets out of an alignment. Okay, what Jesus is teaching his followers is when you're not praying according to my dad's will, you're out of alignment with him. And that's not where you want to be. So when you pray, you discover my father's will. Number three, praying, pray according to God's will in pursuit of your responsibilities. Now, what do I add that part in? Because if you're praying, your kingdom come, think about this. Your kingdom come. All right. If Andrews is praying, he's on the front row, so he's getting picked on. All right, so Andrews, if you're praying in the front row, if Andrews is praying, are you going to follow me? If Andrews is praying in pursuit of God's will for his life, God, your will be done. 
God, your will be done. Whatever, you know, whatever your will is, Lord. Whatever your will is. And then God says, okay, Andrews, here's my will. And then it starts to tell Andrews his will. Here's what's going to happen 100% of the time. Andrews is going to have responsibility in the context of developing that will. So I want you to think about it this way. Let's say you have a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, somebody that you're praying for to come to faith. Lord, let your will be done. Is it his will that they come to faith and know him? Yep. Now, what is your responsibility in that? When you seek out God's kingdom, you're also pursuing your responsibility. Here's how I want you to think about how Jesus prayed. I want you to hear this. Father, if you want me to go to this cross, I'll go. If there's another way, let's do it. But not my will, but your will be done. That's Luke 22. We're going to read it in just a minute. If it's your will, this is the way it goes, so be it. Now, here's the question. What was the responsibility of Jesus in the context of that will? To go to the cross. Pray in pursuit of your responsibility. Here's my, here's my way of saying it. God, if you want this business to take off, if you want me to accomplish this, if you want this church, God, I am praying. Here's how I'm going to take it really home to our church. Lord, I want our church to grow. Lord, I would love to see our church, you know, because I know you're praying for the church. I'd love to see this church grow and help reach people for Jesus. Okay, your will be done, Lord. He says, yep, that's my will. Now, here's your second follow-up to that. Lord, what's my responsibility in it? What is my responsibility in it? What do you want to do with me? Because I want to help accomplish, watch this, your kingdom come. It's your will be done. So what is my role? What is my role in fulfilling your kingdom come? When you pray this way, Jesus said, if you're going to pray, you start with a character. You got to hear that. You start with a character. You understand that. You got to do that. And then in addition to that, you've got to pray according to my will, pursuing the will of God, but also pursuing your responsibility in the context of that. So what is your responsibility in the context of God's will? All right. Then he goes and continues. He says, then in verse 3, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins. We also forgive everyone who sins against us. And then lead us not temptation. I underlined or highlighted three words. Give us, forgive us, and lead us. What I want you to see is that Jesus is saying to his disciples, it's okay to make requests. Number four, pray presenting your requests. It's okay to make requests. Philippians 4, 6 says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So Jesus is telling his followers, I want you to pray about what God gives you. I want you to say, give us. I want you to say, forgive us. I want you to say, lead us. It's okay to make requests, but I want you to notice a couple of things about the three things that he says to make requests about. Number one, he says, make requests about giving food. Why would he say that to you? Here's why. Number one, for many people in our world today, this is true, they don't know where their next meal is. Amen? That's true. Many people don't know. And so they have to trust God to actually bring them a meal that day. That's happening all over our world today. And our world, for the most part, in in many of our lives, especially in this room, that doesn't even make sense to us because we don't live there. Maybe you did at one point, but most of us don't live in that place today, literally starving that it's death or it's life. For most of us, and I'm just saying most of us, and this is, if this is not you, by the way, we want to help you. If you need help getting food, we want to help you for sure. But for most people in our community, 
Most of you, when you're hungry, here's what you do. You open up a double-wide, like, beautiful refrigerator, and you look at your bubbly in the bottom right. You look at some, you know, dairy-free yogurt. You know, I don't know what you got. And then you got some, you know, whatever, your fruits or vegetables. And you look at your really nice, beautiful refrigerator, and you got all that food in there. And then if that doesn't satisfy you, you go down below or some to the left, and you look at the freezer, and you find something in the freezer, maybe some ice cream or some chicken tenders or some something. I don't know what you got in your refrigerator, right? This is what you do when you're hungry. Yes? And then if that doesn't satisfy you, you go to Publix and you try to find BOGO things and you're okay. Then you go to Sprout and then you might, you know, that's not satisfying me. And then you go to Blaze Pizza. Then you go to like some fast food restaurant. That doesn't satisfy you. You're like, hey, let's just go out tonight and we'll just go get some Asian food. We'll get some of this type of food and whatever. I'm in the mood for, I'm in the mood for. And you get to choose all the different types of moods and foods that you want. When you're hungry, that's what most of us do. But let me tell you what Jesus is saying. When you pray, you need to thank God for it. Because here's where the temptation is going to fall for most of you. And for most of us in our world today. You think when you open the fridge or you go out to dinner, you did that. You got that. You bought that. You earned that. You deserve that. And you're wrong. It's all from God. So he says, you need to thank God for the food that he gives you. Because it's him that's giving it to you. It's not your hard work that gives you that big refrigerator. It's God. Because without breath in your lungs, you can't work hard. So, give God praise for the food that he puts in your belly and the provision that he has, the home. He says, forgive us. You know what forgiveness does? Forgiveness puts you in a place of humility. It reminds you that you're a sinner and you're saved by his grace. So you think about forgiveness. God, thank you for forgiving me. And all of a sudden, you're in a place of humility. And you realize you're not as, as best as, you know, the next person. That you're, you're a sinner too, saved by God's wonderful grace in your life. So just think about, I want you to, Jesus is saying his followers, I want you to ask for forgiveness every time you pray. Why? Because it will remind you of the cross. It will remind you of what I've done for you. It will remind you of who you are before me. It will remind you of your need for me. And it will remind you of your current sins that you need to deal with that are keeping you from me. So ask the Lord for forgiveness when you pray. Then he goes on to a third one. He says, lead us. Lead us not to temptation, but would you lead us? Would you be our God? Would you lead us? Would you keep us from evil, but would you also be our God? Would you lead us as we follow you like a good shepherd? Because you're the shepherd and we're following you and we trust you. So I want you to see that he's saying make request. All right. Then he goes on to Luke 11 verse 5. Jesus continues on. He breaks away from that little prayer that we typically say, Our Father, art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we recite that. But I want you to see, he wasn't saying, repeat me. He was saying, pray like me. And then in in that context, the same context, he gives this in verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. And a friend of mine on a journey has come to, uh, to come to me, and I have no food for it to offer him. Verse 7, And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked. <laughs> That's a lame excuse. And my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shame, Shameless audacity, two important words. He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Then he makes this powerful statement. So I say to you, ask, it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock 
the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. What is Jesus talking about in the context of prayer? Don't forget the question is, how do we pray? Okay, this is how you can pray. Start with God's character. Hallowed be thy name. Then I want you to be okay with understanding. You're going to make some requests. You got to seek his kingdom. It's also your responsibilities. He's teaching them how to pray. And in the context of telling them, he tells them, I want you to pray with shameless audacity. That's the Greek phrase or Greek word would be the word persistence. Now it's best defined for us as the word persistence. I want you to be persistent in your prayer, which completely makes sense because when Jesus prays in the garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross, how many times does Jesus ask the Father in heaven to let the cup pass over, that there be another way other than the cross? Three times. His point is, be persistent in your prayer. Here's my question to you. Why would Jesus, though, tell his followers when you pray, it's okay to be persistent? What does persistency do? Persistency reveals what you really want. Have you ever prayed and you got it, you prayed for something, you got it, and once you got it, you thought, I wish I wouldn't have prayed for that. How many of you prayed, you prayed for a child and you're like, oh, Lord, I wish I wouldn't have got this. <laughs> no. You prayed for a job. You prayed for something. Yeah, patience. Some of say, amen. I will never pray for patience. I remember the day I prayed for faith. I remember it. To the, I was sitting in my apartment. It's a true story. I, it's funny. Somebody said uh, uh, patience. But I was sitting on my floor praying, Lord, Lord, Lord. And I was reading the story of Noah and the story of Abraham. And I said, Lord, make me a man of faith. Man, if I could go back to that, I'd be like, Lord, I want very little faith, just enough to get by, you know, because why? When you ask stuff like that, then all of a sudden opportunities to have faith come. So the, the point is, is I want you to think about it. Now, here, here's the point. I want you to see this. Such, it's so, God is so good in this teaching. He tells his followers, pray persistently, not because I didn't hear you the first time. I heard you. But when you pray persistently for something, you'll be amazed at what you'll discover about yourself as you're praying for that thing. That's why sometimes God is slow to answer his prayers. He's actually, he's answering immediately, but he's working on something on you on the inside. I'll give you an example. Recently, when I first started the church, we started to launch, I'm like, Lord, bless it. Give us revival. Give us people and all the stuff and praying for land and building the first years. And, and you know, none of, none of the land stuff or building stuff happened per se. We got a building to meet in, but it wasn't, you know, our own facility. And so, uh, you know, but it was excited. Now, five years later, I look back at where I was starting year one. And here's what I'll tell you. Lord, thank you. To, thank you to God. <laughs> He's like, I'm God. I'm like, I know. But thank you to God that we did not get land or building yet because I wasn't ready. You know, I'm, I, I now see it. So for a couple of years, I didn't, I didn't pray for land much. But recently, this beginning of this year, I've been feeling the stirring that I feel like God's saying, you need to be praying for land. And I said, why? So we're kind of talking about it. I'm like, God, you know why? So now I've been praying for land more persistently. And some conversations have come up within a context of our church. And God is kind of making a way, you know, and there's some things. We don't have land yet. We're not here to announce something. But I'm just saying, God's stirring in that. And it's like, okay, God, I'm following 
you in that. But as I'm praying persistently for land, God is also revealing the leadership that's needed for the land. God is also moving in within the people of the church for the land. He's also moving within the context of our staff for the land. So when you pray persistently for something, God will reveal a lot of things about you in that journey. There's so much growth that can happen in you when you pray persistently for something. It's not that you're just nagging God. God sometimes, yeah, go ahead, just tell me over and over again. But it's what it's doing in you. It's not that God missed it the first time. It's what he's doing in you as you're praying for that thing persistently. So he says, pray with persistence. Okay, all right. There's the talk from Luke 11. Now we're going to shift to the last one. I told you there were six things. And we're going to look at how Jesus prayed in the garden. Luke 22. All right. So I want you to remember, you're a, a Talmudim. Talmudim was the disciples of Jesus in Hebrew. Okay. So you're his Talmudim. You're his followers. And you want to live like your rabbi. And you want to pray like your rabbi. So the best way to learn from him is to watch him and look at him and see him and learn from him. So right now we're going to look into this garden, this moment of prayer that Jesus prayed, and then we're going to actually try and pray like him. Okay? We're actually going to do it. We're going to be followers of Jesus because we're followers of Jesus. So we're going to try to pray like him, and that's okay. And we're going to openly go to him and say, Jesus, we want to pray like you. He's like, that's totally fine with me because we're trying to be like you. Totally fine with me because you're our rabbi. You're our teacher. You're our God. You're our master, and we want to pray like you. All right, so let's look in at how Jesus actually prayed. If you want to know how Jesus prayed, look at the text. Luke 22, Jesus went out as usual. This is going to sum up everything I just taught you. As usual. This is an often thing. This is kind of like a normal thing for me. This is just like what I do. I pray often and I pray alone. So this is what I do. All right. So as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. Because I'm thinking, man, this guy's so good. We got to learn how to pray like him. So everybody keep, keep close eye on him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. So he gives them an instruction. Verse 41, he withdrew, there it is, solitary place, about a stone's throw beyond them. Now look, he knelt down and he prayed. He knelt down and he prayed. Why would Jesus get on his knees? Because you have to. No. But I want you to see why Jesus got on his knees. And I think if you pay attention to why he got on his knees, it, I mean, it'll completely make sense. And by the way, it will change your prayer life if you pray like Jesus and stop praying like you. Start praying like Jesus. Now watch. He gets on his knees. He knelt down and he prayed. Now here's what it says next. Father, there it is, God, if you are willing, there's the kingdom come. Take this cup from me. There's the request. Yet not my will, but yours be done. There's, there, there's personal responsibility because he's talking about the cross. He's, I, I get it, Lord. You want me to go to the cross. I got it. That's my, so I want you to see how he's putting all this together in Luke 22. All right? And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. If you want an angel to appear in your life and move in your life and give you supernatural strength, start praying like Jesus. All right, moving forward. All right, and he being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. So much that, it says, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, some people believe this is like more illustrative. It's kind of like that. Some people believe it's literal. I'm of the lateral that I believe it's 
absolutely possible, because it is, there's a certain human response to stress and weight within the body that a person can go through. I cannot pronunciate the name of it, but it's a true medical condition that can happen that your body begins so overwhelmed with stress and pressure and internal, like, you know, grit, if you would, that you begin to sweat blood. Jesus is on his knees praying, and he is sweating, number one, like drops of blood. When was the last time you prayed so hard you sweat? Truth, and I've been in ministry 15 years. For most people, never. And I'm telling you, it breaks my heart. Because you're missing out what God can do through you. Jesus didn't just casually pray in the garden. Jesus, if you want to take me to the cross, that's cool. Uh, If you could just help me out today, that'd be great. Um, Yeah, let's do it. Think about how casually we pray. And we've done a disservice in teaching the scriptures, I think, to people. You know what we say at prayers? Just talk with God. Oh, great. And, And I get it. I get it. Just talk with the Lord. Get your Starbucks in your hand on the way to the office, Lord. Uh, help me get this deal done today, Lord. Amen. Lord, keep me safe. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, help my wife. It's fine. Uh, Jesus, um, you're, you're great. Amen. It's just this casual conversation. And I get it. We want to teach people to have casual conversation that God is a loving dad and father, son, daughter relationship. I totally am on board with that. I get it. But don't miss out on the power of prayer and how Jesus prayed. When he prayed, like drops of blood fell to the ground. When he rose from prayer, went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Number six, pray like you're in a fight. When Jesus prayed, he prayed like he was in a fight. If Paul wrote in Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, I'm here to remind you today that you're not praying without a fight. Paul said, when you pray, you're praying against demonic powers of this dark world. There are spiritual forces of evil, and you need to start praying like it. Pray like you're in a fight. And when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's on his knees, face to the ground, on his knees, lifted to heaven, straining like drops of blood, sweating in prayer so hard, he had you in mind. He's praying for you. He's praying for this whole process of this thing called the cross and the resurrection. And he knew that Satan would try to keep it from you and keep you blinded from it. And so Jesus goes to battle and he goes to fight. And listen, guess what? There was no synth pad. There was no music. There was no lighting in the garden. Like some like keyboard player showed up and was like, oh, everybody set the mood for you. He's in the middle of a garden. Side, sweating but he understood when I pray I'm fighting against the spiritual forces of evil who are trying to stop my people from coming to know me and know the grace I have to offer when you pray I have a question do you pray like you're in a fight do you fight for your son 
fight for him. Fight for her. Do you fight for it? No more casual prayers. Pray like you're in a fight. Fight for it. God has invited his followers. He's inviting his disciples into the fight. Why are you sitting there sleeping? Get up and pray. Least you not fall into temptation. Stand with me and fight. It's an invitation to pray like me. Jesus followers pray like Jesus. Imagine how your life would be if you prayed often and alone, declaring his character first, according to his will, in pursuit of your responsibility in the context of his will, presenting your requests with persistence like you're in a fight. Let me say, if you don't do this, or when you do this, if you do this, I know it may feel awkward. We're going to do it now, and I understand that it may feel awkward. In these next few minutes, we're going to sing a little song. It's a song called Surrounded, and it just says, this is how I fight my battles. It's a song about prayer. It's a song that the fight happens in the context of prayer. So we're just putting into practice what we're preaching. Trying to give you a moment to do it. We're going to have about four more minutes, and then we're going to be done. Would you fight for the next four minutes of your life? Would you go to prayer and fight? I want you to fight, church. I just want you to, I want you to come into a fight with me. I want you to fight for this church. Well, here's the, here's the thing. I don't know how to start. Let me tell you how to start. Start with declaring God's character. Just start there. Declaring his character for the next four minutes then. Hey, you got some requests? He said, make your request known. You want to know what his will is? Ask him what his will is and then ask him what your responsibility is. Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Be persistent. And it's okay to say the same thing over and over again. He invites you to do it. But ultimately, he, will, he wants to encourage you and ask you, would you pray like you're in a fight? Would you fight for this church? Would you fight for this community? Would you fight for the school systems? Would you fight for the nation? Would you fight for your family? Would you fight for your neighbors? Would you fight for your children? Would you fight for your marriage? Just think all the things you could fight for. Just pray like Jesus. Pray like you're in a fight. Just stand to your feet. We're going to sing this song and I'll pray for you. And I know that for some of you, praying this way, getting on your knees, lifting a hand, it could feel like awkward and weird. But can I just tell you, when it comes to following Jesus, you will find this to be true. Obedience first, feeling second. If you base your relationship with God based on what I feel first, you'll miss it. It goes obedience first, then the feeling comes second. Sometimes. It's always obedience first. So when I lift my hand, it's not like I feel like lifting my hands. I'm obediently lifting my hands. When I kneel down, I'm not kneeling down because I feel like I was supposed to. I'm kneeling down because that's the starting place of obedience. Because I want to pray like Jesus. It's not a feeling. It's obe- Listen. Sing because you're told to sing. Not because you feel like it. The biggest trick Satan wants to do. So many of you. He shuts your mouths and says don't sing until you feel like it. And then you know what? You'll never feel like it. The feeling comes after the obedience. You start declaring his praises and all of a sudden your spirit gets encouraged. Encourage you. Just consider. Would you close your eyes? I'll pray for you. Jesus, I can't do a thing here without you. You are God Almighty. 
you change hearts and you change minds. You alone have the power to mold and shape a heart and a soul. Jesus, we're grateful for your provision. All things come from you. Today we fight. Lord, we enter the fight. Jesus, help us to fight. Strengthen us in our fight. Strengthen us in our weaknesses. Jesus, we might feel awkward at times, but Lord, we step out in obedience. You don't have to fully feel it to fully obey it. Jesus, we love you. Help us, Lord, to pray like you. In Jesus' name, amen.